You're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast, the official channel for faith and life topics at PursueGod.org. Join us every week as we explore new topics from a biblical perspective. Well, today we're in the studio with Eric and Ross, and guys, we finally made it into Mark chapter 2. For listeners who've been with us for the last seven plus weeks, we've spent seven weeks in Mark chapter 1, and now we turn the page to chapter 2. And guys, we're starting... We're going to start a little mini-series within the Mark series, and we're calling, we're calling this series Challenging Religion because that's kind of what we're going to see all throughout this chapter, that Jesus challenges religion. Ross, help us to kind of understand what we're about to read over the next few weeks. Yeah, chapter 2 breaks down into four separate episodes where Jesus is engage with these religious leaders. Now, so far in chapter one, Jesus has, we've seen him starting to do miracles and casting out demons, and he's teaching with authority. But now for the first time in chapter two, we see that he is actually opposed by the religious leaders of his day. They're known here as the, in this chap, in this passage, as teachers of religious law. And in, in other parts of the chapter, they're talked about the Pharisees. There's two groups that overlap a lot. And, um, you know, if you think about it today, one of the things in our culture is what uh, sociologists call the rise of the nuns. And that doesn't, I don't mean N-U-N-S. That might be an interesting movie, right? The rise of the nuns. <laughs> see the nun, see, see uh, Mother Superior taking over the world. <laughs> but it's really the rise of the N-O-N-E-S. What they mean by that is people who don't claim any religious identity. So they fit when they're in the survey, they click the box. What religion are you part of? They click the box, meet, says none. And so they're people, young people, especially disaffiliating from religious systems. And so that's really interesting because here we see in chapter two, this strong, um, vigorous religious system with a lot of expectations and thinking about our day, like why are people disaffiliating from religion so rapidly in our culture today? And it may have something to do with them and their culture, but it may have something to do with religious systems as a whole. And so it's interesting that um, Jesus is taking on the religious systems of his day and, and kind of helping people to rethink that. So I think it's very relevant for today. Well, yeah, you might be out there listening and thinking, well, that's me. I kind of feel like I need to disaffiliate. Maybe you found this podcast and you're still listening, giving it a chance, but but you might be surprised to find that you have more in common with Jesus than you think. Now, that, I'm not saying that Jesus was, was all about deconstructing faith. He certainly didn't do that, and I know there's a movement for that right now, and, and that's not a good biblical godly thing, but Jesus definitely deconstructed toxic faith or toxic religion. And, and so I think people need to recognize the difference. And if you stick with us over these next few weeks, I think you'll see the difference between toxic religion or sort of human religious systems and really the kind of faith that Jesus calls us to. There's really a big difference. And that's why I think Jesus is kind of challenging religion through all of this. Yeah. And in keeping with the book of Mark, we're going to see all of the different scene changes and camera angles, as, as we've said. This, this is the book that's the gospel in action. Jesus just started his ministry back in chapter 1, and we get to see Jesus in action. We get to see Jesus uh, taking his 
his reign, his, his kingdom, and starting to spread it. And this is the first time then in chapter 2, as Ross said, that he's going to be opposed by people who think that this is their kingdom to rule and reign and not his. Okay, so before we get into the verses for today, and we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, so we have a lot of verses to cover. Ross, I think it's important for us to start by defining what we mean by religion, because it's probably a word that means a lot of things to a lot of different people, and we're going to be spending time talking about it today and over the next few weeks. So let's start with that. What is religion? Right, because we are framing it as a sort of a negative thing in this series because there were a lot of negatives associated with the Jewish religion of Jesus' day. The word religion itself is not necessarily a negative thing. It's, it's neutral. It depends on what you do with it. It's from a Latin word that means to bind. And a lot of people think that means, oh, religion just all about binding you to laws and rules and regulations. But the more, uh, the more of the sense of it is like this is one of the things that binds human beings together in community, and it also is what connects us to God. And so on one level, religion is just the ways that people live out a relationship with God in real time and real space. But the problem is many religions, they, they don't have a relationship with God, and so how, it's how they live out their desire to have a relationship or their pursuit of a relationship with God in space and time. And I think in our culture, reflecting you know, the nuns that we were talking about, the word has become used as a shorthand for a negative approach to God or a harmful or toxic religiosity that, that, just, that controls people rather than liberating them into a relationship with God. And so we see that exemplified in the opponents of Jesus. Yeah, here's what I think we'll see um, in this series over the next four weeks about religious systems and what they are. Uh, and some of the negative characteristics are it, it measures others by external behavior alone. Um, there's this outward conformity to rules, but it masks a hard heart toward God. And so that leads people to be suspicious and, and critical towards others that aren't in their circle. We see it all the time. There's, there's people who, who click up and are judgmental um, towards the people who aren't measuring up, following all the rules, aren't there every week. Um, I'm sure as I'm talking about these, it's already frustrating you in, in your mind and in your heart with maybe some of the interactions you've had um, with people who are spiritually prideful or arrogant. Um, anyway, and, and there's another thing that I was thinking about also is there, there are people that um, buck up against religious systems um, because they feel so controlling. And I don't know if you've ever heard or felt um, this way. People have said to me often, I don't like organized religion. And, and, and when people refer to organized religion, they're, they're saying basically they don't trust these systems that are in place because they seem corrupt. Um, and I think that can be, yeah, really true. Uh, and we'll definitely see that over the next coming weeks. But being organized isn't all that bad. I think, you know, we want to get organized uh, in the right way with the right truth. And, and that's what Jesus does for us. 
Yeah, and I think it's good for people who are listening who are just like, yeah, you're right, Eric. That's why I don't go to church. That's why I've deconstructed my faith, or that's why I've left the church altogether. Like, I'm just going to go over a couple of those things again, because, you know, religions in all of us, whether you feel religious or not, but arrogance, I mean, you can be arrogant even if you don't go to church. Critical, judgmental, like really people who are pointing fingers at religion or the church are typically judgmental about people who are judgmental. So there, you know, I think we need to recognize, everyone needs to recognize, like we can all, I don't want to like just throw churches under the bus or religion under the bus. We all, we all kind of can find this toxic religion within all of us, can't we? Well, yeah, every time we have a, a impulse to elevate ourselves over somebody else on the basis of outward behavior, every time that we get upset with someone who doesn't conform, you know, and, and the thing is, that what we're trying to say, I think, in, in this series is that churches can really avoid these negative elements of religion, that churches don't have to be this way. They don't have to be this kind of community that c- tries to control everybody that, that needs to, you know, that cultivates spiritual arrogance and so forth. Yeah, and one of the things that I've always learned... Um over the years about organizations in general is there are, there are principles that help um, organizations like the church, and it's to challenge the process, right? I've always heard that it's a good thing to be able to go to the leaders or go to the top and say, why do we do this? Why do we do it this way? Ask questions and, and drill down deeper on, on clarity of certain issues. And I think uh, as as regular members of the church, they ought to be empowered and, and told that that's okay. You should be able to challenge uh, your church and your leaders every once in a while. Ask hard questions if you don't understand, and it might be a sign that you're part of a bad religion if you can't challenge it at all. Okay, so on one level, let's just summarize. On one level, the word religion is just the way that we live out a relationship with God in real space. It's not all bad, but but we're talking about it today and over the next few weeks kind of as a shorthand for a negative approach to God. And that's because, as we're going to see here as we get into the text for today, that religious systems tend to want to control people's access to God and to his blessings. And so that's the kind of religion that turns really anybody off. So if you're out there having been turned off to this kind of religion, we're with you. Jesus is with you, and this text, this passage is just for you. So, Eric, why don't we start by reading the first few verses here of Mark chapter 2. Yeah, verses 1 through 4 says, When Jesus returned to Capernaum several, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Okay, so Ross, we said in week one of our Mark series that that Mark is the action gospel. It's almost like you're like a movie script, and we're going from scene to scene to scene. And I love this. Mark chapter 2 opens up, 
and the focus, the camera focus zooms in on these four friends. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so there's the context. The news about Jesus is really spreading fast all throughout the whole area. And so every time he shows up, then a crowd gathers. This word of mouth gets around, and, and so it makes it really hard to have access to him. So Jesus is staying at, we don't know where he was staying, at a friend's house or one of his supporters or whatever. He's at this house. Suddenly, boom, everybody shows up. Oh, Jesus is in town. And so what, what Jesus decides to do is to just start you know, communicating with them, the Word of God. He started preaching to them. But I want to, you know, if our listeners to think about, maybe you could paint a picture in your mind about what's going on. You have this house that's just packed elbow to elbow. These crowds are spilling over in, even to the outside. There's people hanging out the windows, and, um, and, and, and this is just uh, like a can of sardines. And then this, but there's a guy who's paralyzed. We don't know his whole story. We don't know if he's been paralyzed from birth, probably some kind of a, of a challenge physically, and, and he's, it's a desperate situation. I assume that the people who were there that day probably knew this guy. From, he's from their town, apparently. And, um, but he can't get in. He can't get in to see Jesus. There's too many crowds. He can't just stand up and start pushing his way through the crowd like you or I might do. He's, he's, on, he's on a mat. But his friends have brought him there, and they recognize together this guy needs to see Jesus. This is only hope to, to be healed, to be changed. Now, before we talk about the friends, Eric, this reminds us, anyone who listened last week, this sounds familiar. We're not going to dive into this too much, but we, lo- we saw last week the leper and how the leper was a picture of our spiritual condition. So just real quick, I mean, let's not forget that that really is what this guy can represent to all of us as well, right? This picture of our need, our desperate need for Jesus. Yeah, and I, I really want to zero in on the friends. You know, the friends are so excited. I mean, just think about it. Something new is going on. People are hearing about all the things that this man named Jesus can do, and it makes me think that that people were just, you know, waiting for something to come. I mean, if we think about the context of of the time from the Old Testament to the New Testament, there was, I think, about 400 years of silence from God. And so all they had was this religious system that we're going to get into of, of like a works-based system, no real life in it at all, no real interactions with God. They had to go through, you know, maybe sometimes mundane and monotonous things over and over again um, to express their faith. But then all of a sudden, it's heard around town that this man from God, who could be this Messiah, is is here and he's doing miracles and he's and he's preaching and we've just got to hear what he's got to say and then the friends are so excited um, because they've heard that this man was compassionate and healing people they just said we've got to get our friend we've got to get our friend to come hear this message I wonder if you've ever felt that way if you're listening to this I hear people all the time come up to me at church and they'll say, I wish so-and-so was there to hear this message today. Th- this would have been perfect for them. And 
man, I need to invite my friend or my mom or, or my coworker to hear this message. That's what these friends are doing. 2,000 years ago, they, they'd heard maybe some of this, and, and they're just like, you know, this is the power we need. This is the power that he needs. He's hopeless. This, this paralyzed guy, he's, he's hopeless. There's, there's been nothing to help him thus far. Um, but here we've got this new exciting thing going on in the friends' faith. That's the exciting thing, um, is that the friends' faith to, to bring him in to, to meet Jesus. I think that should be the application as we think about this is um, how much willingness, what lengths are we willing to go to to get our friends to get out of religion or to get out of their hopeless situation and to put them in front of the powerful, the almighty, the loving, compassionate Jesus. It may just change their life like it changes his. Look, I can, I can, when I envision this, you know, this is a, these four friends are carrying this guy on some kind of a cot or, you know, some kind of a, of a gurney or something like that. They carry him up to the house and they hear, oh, Jesus is in town. He's staying over on fish street, whatever. <laughs> they carry him up there and, uh, they see the crowds. They go, oh, no, what are we going to do? And so they just tell the guy, sorry, not happening today, and they take him back home. No, that's not what they did. They see the obstacle. They say, we got to find a way. we got to find a way. Our friend has this huge need. And so they found this creative, energetic approach that as a, as a homeowner myself, I'm going, oh, my gosh, what did they just do? They, they got up on the roof. They started digging a hole. This, they thought the only way we're going to get in that house is to somehow create an opening that doesn't exist. Now, in, the, in that culture, I, I believe the roofs were flat roofs. You'd go up there to get out of the heat of the day or whatever. And, um, and so there's a, often maybe there was a stairwell well going up on the outside of the home. So they, they carried him up the stairway. Now, th- this is not a shingle roof with a plywood decking with an attic in between. This is going to be some kind of adobe or, or, or mud with thatch or whatever. So, and there might have been a hole in the roof already for, for cooking smoke. The smoke from cooking, the heat to, to uh, waft up out through the roof. And so I can see them come up to that hole in the roof and start, start digging it out. You know, it, They only had to make it about, what, uh, two feet across to, draw, to lower the guy down. And, and so, man, that to me is like they were so motivated to help their friend that they didn't, wouldn't take no for an answer in a sense. I'm sure people said, nope, sorry, can't get in. But they found a way in. They found a way to get their friend into the presence of Jesus. Okay, so, so here they are. This is where we kind of left people. Because some people, some listeners don't even really know. If you don't know the Bible, you don't even know what happens next. So you're probably at the edge of your seat. Maybe you've pulled over on your commute to work, and you're like, well, what happened? So here this guy is, lowered in front of Jesus. He's busy. He's preaching. I know how annoyed I get when, when I get disrupted in the middle of a sermon. So how does Jesus respond? What happens? Eric, read verse 5 for us. It says, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. All right, two things. First of all, Ross, I think this is really interesting how this is worded in this passage. What is, why did Jesus, according to the scripture, why did Jesus heal the paralyzed man? 
Well, here's the deal. He didn't heal him. At least not in, in verse 5. So this, this guy came and his friends came with a certain expectation. They, they knew what he, their need was. The guy needed to be able to walk. And they lowered him into the presence of Jesus. And Jesus says something else. He said, I don't know if they were disappointed. We don't know what's going on in their mind. Were they disappointed? They go, oh, man, are you kidding me? I wanted to get healed. I wanted to walk today. But Jesus says to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. Yeah, let's think back to what happened in at the end of the last chapter. If you listen to the last episode, the leper comes, and Jesus healed the leper from his leprosy, and I wonder how the leper would have responded if Jesus had said this to him, like, your sins are forgiven. The leper would have been like, well, thanks for nothing. I was kind of more worried about the leprosy here, right? So Jesus does something that's surprising, right, on two levels. So number one, he says, your sins are forgiven. We'll talk about that in a second. But really, more immediately, is he sees the faith of the four friends, which kind of just comes back to this whole, you know, the 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 picture that we have of these friends, the cinematographer is focused in on these four friends and Jesus also is focused in on them, not just on the paralyzed man, which is really pretty impressive that he recognized their faith. Now, certainly the paralyzed man, I'm sure had faith as well. He wasn't kicking and screaming. Well, I guess he couldn't kick, but he wasn't screaming saying, why are you bringing me here? But Jesus recognizes and acknowledges the faith of the four friends. Okay. So let's close off. Let's close off that, that scene now, Ross and let's move on to this thing that Jesus says that your your sins are forgiven cuz now we're starting to shift the focus to Jesus and how he's greater than religion cuz now he's going to really tick off the religious elite right and so what's happening here in the text so so far we're seeing the activity of these friends we see that they get in front of Jesus and Jesus begins an interaction with them and Jesus interaction with them doesn't end with that statement but we also see when he says that, that there starts to be a side conversation going on because there were some religious leaders there. The, um, they're, in verse 6, they're called the teachers of religious law, and meaning the, the law that God gave, the law of the Old Testament, and all the rules and regulations that were added to that in the Jewish uh, religious system. So Jesus now starts an interaction with them because they didn't like what he just said. Yeah, so it says, but some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only, only God can forgive sins. And it, it, it reminds me of when, you know, the, the guy comes for physical healing, but yet Jesus brings up the sins. And it really goes back to, again, um, some of the things we've already learned about Jesus coming, his mission, what his priority was. His priority was to go and, and to preach the good news, the forgiveness of sins. That's what he's doing. And he and Jesus is so genius. He uses this guy as an example um, right when he's going to start challenging religion. He knows that the Pharisees are there. He knows that the scribes are there. He knows that the religious leaders are there. He knows that everybody's sitting there. Everybody's got a different idea in their mind about what 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 they want, you know, whether they want physical healing right then and there, or they want to hear how to get to God, or they want to hear that he's come to, you know, set them free from oppression. And Jesus, man, and 
he Mark's so good about it because he's so so concise with it and and Jesus says these amazing things my my son your sins are forgiven and that just sparks this 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 whole other thing that that Jesus is going to use as a teaching moment in front of everyone these guys are angry and the thing is for them why are they there why are they in this house why did they pack themselves in there we know that the pharisees love the the places of honor they i i guarantee you when they stepped to the door that they were like oh yeah let these guys in like if you've ever been to a club or a high elite restaurant or whatever you go up to the bouncer and if you're if you're someone important if you're on the list uh you can get a nice table i've never been on those lists anyway by by the way but I've I've wanted to break in the back door. Maybe I've tried it back in the old day, you know, back in my old days, get in the back door of the bar or something when it was packed. But but that's what's going on. These guys are have a front row seat. They've they've pushed their way in because they think that they're important and they're wanting to hear what is this guy teaching? He better be, you know, lifting up the old way. He better be um, you know, deferring to the law and and they're jealous of of Jesus's following because people everywhere they're coming from everywhere to listen to him to hear him and they don't get that 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 same type of following when they they speak it's probably more like the people are dragging themselves in oh we got to go hear this message again from the synagogue <laughs> you know but these guys but Jesus is is drawing a crowd at people's houses because he's so amazing. And it brings up their jealousy. You can hear it in their voice when they're they're challenging him. Um, this is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. So Ross, help us to understand what they meant by that. Like what what did what did how did forgiveness of sins work at this moment in time in Jewish history? Yeah, that's a great point to try to get into their mind, into their mindset. When they heard this, what are they hearing? Because, you know, in the Old Testament system that they represented, uh, there had been, God had, God had set this up. Now, this is God's idea, but the way that it was used by them was not God's idea. But God had set up the system where to be forgiven of a sin, you had to bring an offering to the temple and go through a, a whole set of rituals and a whole bunch of steps and it, you know, and, and you had to follow it down to the letter. And then over time, you know, the Jewish leaders kept adding steps and adding regulations about how it could be done, how it couldn't be done. And so I, I think they're thinking about, wait a minute, Jesus just bypassed the whole religious system. Mm. Jesus just like kicked the whole religious system to the curb in a way, and said, you don't need to go to these gate the people who are guarding the religious gate. You don't need to go through them to have access to God or to be blessed by God. You don't need to go through... And that, that, to Eric's point, that threatened their control. Their, uh, it threatened their position in society uh, for Jesus to, to bypass the authorized way of doing things. Okay, so let me guess then. So Jesus then says, oh, guys, I am so sorry. You're right. You're right. I, I forgot, I forgot the, 
the special incantation or I forgot the temple or I forgot the, I forgot the Old Testament, I forgot all the rules. Is that what Jesus is going to do here? No, I'll, give, I'll tell you right now. If that's not what he does. Here's, this is what's amazing. So up until this point, remember, let's just catch you up. This paralyzed guy is sitting there because his four friends bring him. He forgives his sins, but he's still laying there paralyzed. The Pharisees, the focus shifts to the, to the religious teachers, and they, they say this is blasphemy. You bypass the right way this is supposed to happen. You can't forgive sins. And Jesus, in response, here's what it says. It doesn't even, it doesn't even say that he heard them, by the way, because this is a side conversation, but verse 8 says this. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, and so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, that's what he called himself, that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man in this kind of mic drop moment, and he said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Man, this is just so powerful. It gives me chills anytime I read this passage. It reminds me of a, a verse in, in Hebrews chapter 3, as we're talking about, you know, Jesus being greater. Well, where, where did the law come from? You know, it was, it was the law of Moses, right? God delivered the Old Testament law uh, through Moses, and this is what the religious leaders are following. And and the, the writer of Hebrews has something to say about that. I think the writer of, of Hebrews does a really good job of uh, challenging religion as well. But it says, Jesus deserves, it's in chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus deserves far more glory than Moses, just as a person who builds a house deserves more praise uh, than the house itself. <clears throat> For every house has a builder, but the one who built everything is God. Um, Moses was certainly faithful in God's house as a servant. His work was an illustration of the truths God would reveal later. But Christ as the son is in charge of God's entire house. You know, and it goes on to say, we are God's house if we keep our courage and remain confident in our hope in Christ. Jesus is being revealed. It's so beautiful that he is he's greater than the law of Moses. This is going to be challenging to them. I think we're going to see this later on in some of his other interactions later in the book. Um, but Jesus is certainly greater than the, the, the whole institution that they were, they were in and that they were keeping going was pointing towards something greater. And that time had come, and Jesus was fulfilling that. These guys just weren't ready for it yet. So Jesus has got to show his authority. He's got to prove. It says right there, I will prove to you the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins by healing a person, right? Only God could heal a paralyzed man, and as we know, only God can forgive sins. And so he's there proving himself to the first Pharisees that come and challenge him. And they're no match. They're no match to his authority. They're no match to his wisdom, no match to his power. And this is why Jesus is gain, gaining such, such a great following, because he proves that he is, he is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one that's come to bring the good news of 
no more religion, um, in a sense, ritual, ritualistic activities, those aren't going to make you right with God. They're pointing towards me. I'm the only person that can make people right with God. So it's through him that we come to God. Yeah, and let me, let me remind our, our readers, based on what, something you said, Eric, there, where we're at, what's happening in the book of Mark, because if, if you were with us at the very beginning in Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the emphasis is on the identity of Jesus. This is, you know, this is the good news of Jesus, the, um, the, the Son of God, the, the, the Messiah. And, um, and so a theme throughout the whole Gospel of Mark, keep this in mind as we go forward week by week, is Jesus' identity is being revealed, it's being tested, and, and we're going to see how people respond to that. So will they accept his identity or will they reject it? Will they accept his authority? Will they reject it? And so here we see, you know, that these religious leaders, uh, their observation was correct on one level. If anybody else had said, your sins are forgiven on behalf of God, that would be blasphemy. I mean, I can forgive your sins against me, but I don't have any authority to declare that you're forgiven before God. Um, you know, because only God can do that. But what they, they didn't understand was every, exactly what you've been saying, Eric, that, that this is something new that's happening, that the whole Old Testament system, the whole religious system, that Jesus actually did have authority to speak for God in that moment. He really did have authority to act on behalf of God. And he says, I'm going to prove that, and like you said, by doing something that only God could do. Now, Forgiveness, you can't see it. It's not visible. I, I could say your sins are forgiven, and that might change my internal mental state or emotional state. It's not like, boom, I change color or something like that. But a healing, you could see it. And so he demonstrated the invisible by the visible and proved that there's, diff there's a difference here because he really is the one authorized Messiah, the Son of God, God himself, and he really, he really was... Uh, able to speak for God and to say that. That's what they missed. They, they had the right observation, the wrong interpretation. Yeah, and it doesn't really, the passage doesn't tell us what happens in the minds of the religious leaders, but we can pretty much guess, right? You'd, you, would, you would think that it would maybe change their minds and you, they would realize Jesus didn't commit blasphemy and he, was, he really did speak and act for God, but, but it, it doesn't. Their attitude toward what was happening was wrong, right? The, they're, they, I mean, think about it. Here's this guy coming to God through Jesus. He had physical par paralysis. He gets healed. They didn't care about his healing. They didn't care about his forgiveness of sins. The, the one, and this is kind of what we're saying, the one thing that they cared about is that Jesus wasn't doing it the right way, what they thought was the right way. So in the, from the bigger picture, again, we think about religion and toxic religion. Their religious, their form of religion wanted to control people's access to God, and they hated it. They hated it that this guy had access to God literally through the roof, <laughs> access to God, and access to Jesus in this, in this way that didn't come through their pre-established sort of human religious system, and this is what they couldn't stand about Jesus. And again, some people listening I don't want you to. I don't want you to throw Jesus out just because you've met religious people like this. 
because the four friends didn't throw Jesus out and the paralyzed man didn't throw Jesus out. And it's a good thing they didn't because now this guy, as we're going to see, this guy's going to walk away healed. And the point is, Jesus is greater than religion. And, and this is, we're going to see this over and over and over again as we, as we continue through the Gospel of Mark, that Jesus is greater than religion. But we should probably kind of finish here because there's one more thing we need to look at. There's one more verse we left off, and it's the very last verse. It's just worth noting as we close. It, it says, the man jumped up, grabbed his mat. I mean, you could have met, he didn't care about the Pharisees. He just was like, sweet. I got a two for one today. I got a bogo. I got a, I got forgiveness of sins and I also can walk, man. He walked out through the stunned onlookers and the, the verse says, they were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. And Ross, that's kind of the point. Right, that's that's a good summary statement for the point of this whole passage. Right, you know it, what I noted in there, they were amazed. Of course, who wouldn't be? They were stunned, but they they actually praised God for this action. And so, what that indicates to me is that they saw that God was at work here. And so, this is exactly what Jesus is trying to to say through through this interaction in that house that day. They, and they got it. Jesus is trying to say, look, when when I act. I act on God's behalf. When I speak, I speak on God's behalf. Uh, and so you, you better listen, listen to me. I can, only God could heal somebody. Jesus healed. So, so that's, a, that's God's stamp of approval. So only God could forgive sin. Jesus forgave sin. And so the whole crowd that, that everybody recognized that day, what Jesus was trying to say, that he's the doorway to God, that he's the one that we need in order to experience God's presence and blessing in our life. There's no other road. There's no other way to get there. Religion can't do it. Only Jesus can do it. And so we just really want uh, everyone to, to come to him. So let me just bring this home to you. If you've been trying to find God through religion or some kind of religious system like we've been talking about, uh, maybe you've been trying to find the one correct church that's going to just open the door for you. Or maybe you've been trying to do all the right religious rituals and you're trying to figure out what's the right way to do it. Who has the authority to do that? Maybe you've been uh, trying to keep what somebody told you were all of God's commandments or even every commandment that you've read in the Bible. Or maybe you're just trying to live this moral, righteous life. And you know, you're jumping through hoops. And that's the nature of religion. Religion is going to try to control your access to God. But you don't need religion to open the door to God or to His blessings. You need Jesus. And so today we want to make sure that you don't confuse those two. This story re reminds us that Jesus is inviting each one of us to come directly to Him by faith to meet our needs. We saw the need to be forgiven our sins. We saw other needs as well. That's, that's what we need today. So that's Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Jesus is greater than religion. If you want to talk about this with your family or your small group or just one-on-one -on -one with a mentor, you can find all of it at pursuegod.org forward slash Mark. And then make sure to join us next week on the podcast because we're going to continue to explore how Jesus challenges religion in Mark chapter 2. Hey, listeners, this is Brian Dwyer reminding you to rate this show on your favorite podcast app. That really does help us 
when you do that. That way more people can discover this podcast and start listening. And also, don't forget to share the podcast with a friend.